Welcome to this episode of the Bounce Podcast. My name is Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and part of the Great Commission Collective. Our church is part of that collective. I'm on the board of directors with GCC. And GCC, our, our goal, our mission is to plant churches and to strengthen leaders. And I think both of those are significant Planting new churches is an important gospel responsibility, and strengthening leaders is an essential ministry. It's an essential part of what we do because we talk to so many church pastors who need a collective. They need to be linked together with other pastors. In fact, Dave Harvey, who is the president of the Great Commission Collective, has written a helpful book on that very subject. It's a book called Stronger Together, Seven Partnership Virtues and the Vices that Subvert Them. I'd encourage you to look for a copy of that book and then check out the website, gccollective.org. It's the Great Commission Collective. Uh, and if you'd like more information, get in touch with us. We'd love to talk with you about what it is we're doing at GCC. Now, we're going to have a conversation today with Carrie Fulmer. And Carrie is a pastor's wife who lives in Dubai. Now, she wrote a book, this was maybe a year or two ago, called How Can Women Thrive in the Local Church? It's a nine marks title. And I thought that's a conversation we ought to have. What can we do as pastors and church leaders to help make sure the women in our churches are thriving and are actively engaged and involved in the local church, keeping in mind some of the distinctives and prohibitions that are outlined in the New Testament regarding women's involvement in church ministry. Even with those regulations in place, we want to make sure that women in our churches are involved, participating, influencing, speaking into the life of the church. And so that's the conversation I was able to have with Carrie Fulmer. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Um, let our listeners know, first of all, about your work in Dubai, how long you've been there. Just give us that overview and background, will you? Yeah, we've been here for 18 years. Um, my husband is the senior pastor of the Evangelical Christian Church of Dubai. And um, we came here 18 years ago, raised our family here. There, all Our three children are now adults living in different parts of the world. And it's been a joy to be here at this church. And and I know it must have seemed, I mean, today it must seem normal that you live in Dubai and that's your home. But 18 mm -hmm. years ago, it had to feel like you were signing up for, for, for something very odd, didn't it? It did. We were very excited. But, you know, you get off that plane and the smells and the feel, I mean, it feels like you're walking into an oven. Mm -hmm. um, we moved here on August 1st and it is hot here. Yeah. Uh, right now it's over 100 degrees. Um, and so you feel like you're walking into an oven. People are dressed differently. People look different and particularly at the airport there are very few women um especially in those days at that airport um 
it's just teeming with men. So it's a very, very different place. And and you brought up the fact that there are few women at the airport culturally Dubai and gender and roles and all of that. Explain what the culture is like when it comes to gender and sexuality in Dubai. Well, I think on the surface, um, it's a lot like America, um, where, you know, you have women, especially in Dubai, you have women dressed all kinds of different ways, um, everything from completely covered in a black robe and a black shayla, which is a head covering. And then you have women who are wearing shorts and midriffs and all kinds of things because we have a lot of Europeans here and other cultures. Um, But down under the surface, women are not treated equally here. They do very much encourage women to work outside the home, but there's not equality. There's a difference in marriages. Um, Marriages, you know, as Christians, we think of marriage as a deep relationship between two people, or even coming from a Christian culture, I mean. Um, we think of marriage as, as a deep relationship between two people, a love relationship. For them, it's a business relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, when they get married, it's It's definitely not a religious ceremony. It's in the court, and the father of the bride signs papers with the groom. So there's not equality here. It's hard to do like normal business if you're a woman. Going to the bank, you know, often they tell me to go get my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So... So, so it's like they're still thinking about marriage in the Old Testament context rather than the New Testament context. It's in in that business arrangement kind of thing. Of course, Old Testament is not a part of the culture, but it's uh, it, it's how they've been brought up. Yeah, that's right. Marriage is very different, and sometimes um, Muslim women very much want to know about what a Christian marriage is like, hmm. and so that can be a really good entree to the gospel. I've had good gospel conversations and gotten to read the Bible with women just because they wanted to know what's your marriage like as a Christian. Well, I want us to dive in. And the reason I wanted to connect with you was because of the very helpful book that you have written that is a part of the Nine Marks series of books, How Can Women Thrive in the Local Church? And of course, that question is a question that gets all kinds of answers uh, in the evangelical church in America. It used to be that the evangelical church had a pretty common answer to that, but in recent years, um, that answer has been debated. And we saw it this past summer when the Southern Baptist Convention got together. I'm sure you were following all of that, even in Dubai, watching what was going on there. Uh, You address this from from complementarian convictions. And I'm just curious about your own complementarianism. Is You are a capable, intelligent woman. Did you wrestle at all when you opened your Bible and saw passages like 1 Timothy 2 and um, 1 Corinthians 14, and you went, wait, what? Did, did you have any of that in your own heart and mind? You know, I really didn't. Um... I mean, I was a lawyer 
before John and I got married. Um, he used to be a lawyer also. Um, we met at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. We, I was working on the House side, and he was working on the Senate side. But I always very much valued um, marriage and family. I was involved in the pro-life movement. And so, um, I didn't really struggle with the theology, and I very much believed the Bible. So, when I opened the Bible, I wasn't, I don't think I was very biblically literate, but when I opened the Bible and read that, I mean, it was clear that that's what God said and intended um, from creation on. You know, it doesn't start in those pastoral letters. It starts in Genesis when God created man and woman in his own image. So, I never saw complementarianism as a negative thing. I always saw it as a positive way to live out not just the Christian life, but being a woman. The limitations that God puts on a woman's role in the home and in the church was never anything that you chafed against. Well, certainly I've struggled to submit to my husband sometimes because I'm a sinner. <laughs> but I don't think of these things as limitations. Um, I do a lot of Bible teaching. I love teaching women. Um, and how could I turn that into a limitation? I get the privilege of loving women in my church and teaching them. I get the privilege of going other places and, and teaching women. So, I've never seen it as limiting. And my husband sees me as a full partner in our marriage, and I support him and his work in the church, and that's a huge joy. I mean, I get a front row seat as a pastor's wife in seeing people be converted in the church and people thriving and loving the Word of God. And then I get to teach the women in our church and lead Bible studies and um, disciple women and counsel. So, my life is very rich and full, and I don't see it as limited at all. And I don't see it as limited in my marriage either. I mean, we're very much partners. We talk about everything. And sometimes he makes decisions that I disagree with. And actually, it's a freedom and a joy to be able to say, okay, I can submit to the Lord as I submit to you when you make this decision that I don't necessarily agree with. Well, and as a husband, I've told my wife, as, as we've tried to work through this as well, I, I'm not always sure that the decision that I'm making is the right decision. Sometimes it turns out we look at it and go, that does not look like it was the right decision. Um, and so it can be intimidating for us as men to say, we're, we're supposed to lead and we're not going to always do that right. And to ask you to submit to fallible uh, husbanding, that that's intimidating for us as husbands. It's a part of recognizing the sovereignty of God that even in the the wrong decisions that I've made through the years where Marianne has gone along with it, and we both look back and say, boy, we do that differently again. Um, but we've had to trust that God has been there in the midst of that, that he has, uh, even in our wrong decisions, he's brought redemption and accounted those things for his purposes. So yeah, 
Absolutely. As we look at how all of this plays out in our world today, the when the headlines were coming out about what was going on in the Southern Baptist Convention back in June, uh, there was not a whole lot in the headlines about Southern Baptists reaffirm the equal value, dignity, and worth of women. Uh, that wasn't the headline. The headline was Southern Baptists put women in a box and won't let them do certain things, won't let them be pastors. And and I understand the reason for those headlines, and I, I don't want to focus exclusively on the Southern Baptists. That's just kind of an illustration of the the overall debate that's going on in the church. But let's talk about what you see as the uh, the ordered roles in the local church for women. From your perspective, what can a woman not do that a man can do in, in church ministry? Well, I have a pretty broad perspective on this. I, I think that women should not be spiritually leading men. Um, so that certainly means that women should not be preaching from the pulpit um, but I also would not be comfortable leading a mixed Sunday school class. Um, I wouldn't be comfortable leading a small group, a mixed small group. Um, I love leading small groups of women. I love teaching women and it's a great joy and I think there's a big role for women to step up and disciple other women. I mean, even if you aren't gifted as a teacher, there's such a role for older women to be pouring into the lives of younger women and teaching them all kinds of things, teaching them what is good. I think that starts with the gospel. So for me, I know there's there's a broad spectrum on this, but I would think that Biblically, a woman shouldn't ever preach from the pulpit. And at the same time, should not be functioning in a leadership role as an elder. I know deacon is one of those that kind of we're split down the middle in terms of whether a woman can serve in a deacon's role. Youth pastor, uh, is that an, is that something a woman can or should do? I would not prefer a woman to be a youth pastor. Um, and and do you see that as a preference or a biblical conviction? Well, um, you know, there are fine lines here. Um, yeah. And I think there are some gray areas. So um, I, I want to leave room for discussion in this, but I think it's a matter of biblical wisdom at the very least, let's say, yeah. for... Um, to, to have men in roles like that. I mean, you've got teenage boys growing older. They need men speaking into their lives and modeling for them. Um, they need their fathers most of all, but, you know, some boys don't have fathers and some boys don't have Christian fathers. And they need Christian men speaking into their lives. They need Christian men standing up and teaching the word um, to them. So, I would say at the very least, it's a matter of biblical wisdom to not have a youth pastor who is a woman. And and all of these areas, again, you said fine lines. There are fine lines. I remember Wayne Grudem's article from years ago where he said, so what can a woman do in the church? And he listed out, as Wayne Grudem is wont to do, you know, dozens of different things and said, you can draw the line wherever you think it should be drawn. And 
we have the hard and the soft complementarians today, even within complementarianism. So I, I think we need to be able to sharpen iron with one another in those areas and be careful about what we hold too dogmatically. And yet at the same time, it, it does seem like there are some things that are clear. And, and as I've looked at it, I remember a pastor saying one time, a woman can do everything a man can do in the church except serve as an elder and preach from the pulpit on Sunday morning in the worship service. And I thought, okay, as a minimum, that's a, if, if you're going to be a complementarian, that probably needs to define your minimum position. And then where we go from there, we need to continue to have mm-hmm. ironic conversations about what on a Sunday morning in Dubai, how do women participate in Sunday morning worship? Is there any upfront role that a woman can or does play regularly in Dubai? Well, if you consider a worship service, it's a mixed group and we're all participating, right? We're singing songs to one another beautifully. We're speaking the word to one another before and after uh, the word is preached. We're often standing and reading the word together. And you've got female voices and male voices doing that. So I don't think of a person sitting in the pews. We don't actually have pews. We have chairs. But (laughs) a person sitting in the pews is participating in the worship. Um, It's not just the upfront people. So, um, so that's what I would, would say. And there needs to be much rejoicing among the women and singing loudly so we can hear beautiful voices. Um, and so we would have some women up front who are singing, but our men lead the singing. Um, so I think a woman could pray during a service. I mean, we see that in scripture. Uh, women praying with their heads covered, so obviously they were praying. And I think a woman could read the scripture if she wasn't teaching the scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think women certainly can do things like that. But but again, when we talk about what women can't do, women start to think, oh, I can't do these things. Well, women need to be thinking what they can do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a great encouragement to me when I look at my sisters who are right in front of me, the young single women sit right in front of me at church, and they're often arm in arm singing joyfully. Um, They're nodding their heads to the points in the sermon. They're taking notes. Um, and it's just a great joy to be with other women in the gathering. I've had young women in our church come to me and say, if we're not seeing women on the platform, reading the scriptures, praying, at least doing something as a part of the service, there's a message that's being sent that that feels constricting and meaning to us. So it needs to be there at least as a symbolic gesture to, to say to women, yes, uh, there is much you can do to, to model that for younger women. What if, if a young woman comes to you with that kind of a uh, an argument, what's your counsel to her? Yeah, uh, um, it would probably depend on how she asked it. And I, I think I would want to counsel her to be aware of the culture that she's swimming in. 
um, is it really inequality to have different roles? Um, we're not talking about inequality here. God has made that clear in Scripture. And, and you know, if you read the Gospels, look at the way Jesus treated women. You know, I, I was just reading today um, about the woman who came and wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And she poured perfume on Jesus. She loved Jesus well, and he did not turn her away. And it was a humiliating thing. She was, it says she was a sinful woman. So she was probably some kind of prostitute. And she came in and the Pharisees were holding this dinner for Jesus. And Simon was the one who it was at his house. He didn't wash Jesus's feet with water or dry them with a towel. And yet this woman came and really loved Jesus because she had been forgiven of so much. And so she knew Jesus well enough to know that she was not going to be humiliated by him, that she was not going to be turned away. And I think when we consider the way Jesus treated women, um, we won't get so upset about the roles that we're in. And I think we can really glory in those roles. And our minds are every bit as good as men's are. And my husband encourages me to think. He encourages me to think through passages of Scripture. And when I go to him and I say, hey, what do you think about this? And I disagree on a passage of Scripture with him. He'll engage with me. Hmm. Um he doesn't think I just have to shut my mind off and accept everything that he says. Um, thankfully, he's right most of the time. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think I would want to have a conversation with a woman like that about how her relationship is with Christ. Is she getting more of her identity from the scripture, or is she getting more of her identity from the culture that's surrounding her? Because the culture is telling us something very different from the Bible. The culture is telling us that equality looks like doing the exact same thing. And that's not what equality is. Equality means we're valued the same. And clearly, when you read Scripture, and God says that He created man and woman in His image, in His image He created them, that means we're of the same value. And then I, I think I would encourage this woman to meet up with an older woman um, and go through the Scriptures with her and um really dig deeply about what, I mean, and look at women in the, the scriptures. Look at how they are treated by Jesus. Look at what a vital part of his ministry they were. I mean, they they supported him. There was a group of women who traveled with him. So, the apostles, the 12 disciples, and a group of women traveled with Jesus. I was just noticing that also today as I was reading the scriptures. These people traveled together and these women supported Jesus. They were every bit as much his disciples as the apostles were, right? But the apostles had a very special role. Um, so, 
that's how I would deal with someone. And I think more and more in American culture, um, an understanding of the fact that to function in different roles is not a matter of inequality. It's not demeaning or degrading. It's simply functioning in different roles. That message needs to be heard and embraced because the cultural message um, seems to be saying, let's let's tear down anything that might be differentiating to the point now that we 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 have to talk about sex and gender in in roles that there's no difference even biologically. What uh, we saw again back in the summer, congressional testimony where um, a woman was saying, "Well, basically anything a man can do, a woman can do equally well," and she was pointing to Serena and Venus Williams as superstar tennis players and saying they're on equal footing with their male counterparts only to be told, well, it, it turns out that they've actually played male tennis players and they can't biologically keep up with those men as great as those women are. We don't want to diminish their achievements in any way, but by God's design, there is biological differentiation and we ought to at least open our eyes and say, what, what does general revelation tell us about what God intends for men and women based on what we see in in the differentiation of biological design? That's just one area. We, we could get sidetracked on all kinds of conversations about yeah. this, couldn't we? You've got male swimmers beating female swimmers. Right. And you've got you've got male boxers beating up women mm-hmm. and when i say male i mean you can change your outward appearance and you can even physically alter your body but every single cell is male or female that's right every single cell of your body so um i hope that women are going to stand up more um and talk about because you know when we talk about these issues when we talk about equality and even transgender things it seems that women are being encouraged to be like men it's not very much the other way around That's a good point. um and yeah this is this is i think very dangerous to all women so let's get to the heart of your book A young woman comes to you and says, I want to thrive in the local church. I want to be fully active, fully engaged. I want to be contributing well. I want to be benefiting from what God has for me. I want to be a full member and a full participant in the work of God in the local church. Uh, You've got eight categories, eight suggestions. Just walk us through where you start with that young woman, would you? Well, I would want to start with the gospel. I would want to make sure that she um, has seen Jesus for who he is and what he's done, and she's repented of her sins and put her trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's died on the cross for sinners like us um, and been raised to glory. And so I would want to start there um, and see where she is spiritually. And then if she was a believer, I would want to encourage her to join the church, to become a member, um, whatever that looks like, you know, going through a membership 
class and having an interview with an elder at our church. Mm -hmm. So I would want to encourage her to do that because you want to be counted as a member. You want to be known by others and you want to know others. Um, and you want the elders to be responsible for your spiritual well-being. Yeah, let, let me just jump in here because um, there are churches today and there are Christians today who look at membership. I've had people say, you know, there's nothing about membership of the local church in the Bible. There's no verse about that. And I've said, well, there are lots of verses about one another and about pledging ourselves to one another, which is essentially what we're doing in membership. And it's almost like People will say, "Well, I just want to live together. I don't want to get married. I, I you know, I, I want to uh, to be a part of this community and want to be recognized by this. But I want to keep my options open, and I want to be able not to have to deal with church discipline when that comes along. It, it's there. There's this individualistic sense that we have that we need to recognize. God didn't call us just to live out our faith individually, but He calls us to make promises to one another and to fulfill those promises to one another in the Scriptures." And membership is the way we declare that openly to one another. You're not as much joining the church as you are joining yourself to one another. You're saying to your brothers and sisters, I'm here for you. I'm covenanting to be here for you. Why would you not want to make that pledge to your brothers and sisters in Christ in a local community? So I think membership is a a joyful privilege and something that we should joyfully embrace rather than something that's limiting or constricting. So I'm, I'm here to cheer you on and I'll echo your advice to this young woman who says, I want to be a full participant in the church. Then, then make your pledge, say you're in and, uh, and stand up and say, you can count on me. Right. Right. You're joining a family. You're becoming part of a family. All right. So from membership, what's next? Yeah. The next thing I would tell her is prioritize the weekly gathering. So come to church on Sunday, be there and prioritize it in that you read the passage that's going to be preached before you get there. Come early, talk to people there, stay late um, and talk to people after and talk to them about the sermon that's just been preached. You know, a culture of a church is built through the preaching of God's word and through the members, um, Jonathan Lehman has used the phrase reverberate. The word of God reverberates throughout the church. And so we hear the word preached and then we talk about it with each other. And that happens all week long after the, the gathering on Sunday. So that's the next thing I would say is prioritize the weekly gathering. Come early, stay late, prioritize. I like all three of those. That's good. Yep. Um, the next thing I would say, and of course, many of these are for both men and women, but I think women particularly have a struggle in that we often want to serve a lot in the church. So the next thing I would tell her is sit more than you serve. Hmm. And what I mean by that is sit under the preaching of God's word, go to Sunday school, sit under the teaching um, that that your elders are doing and other men in the church, Um, go to women's Bible study, sit under good teaching, especially when you first join a church. A lot of women will come in and they'll be really gung-ho and want to serve in children's ministry and they want to do 
um, hospitality, and that's all wonderful stuff. But if you're taking yourself out of the main gathering or you're not going to Sunday school because you're serving the children every week, um, you can become burnt out and you can forget the gospel, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And with all of your serving, you know, it's kind of a Mary Martha thing. Right. um, Where Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. Which doesn't mean don't serve. It just means prioritize this and make sure that you're sit, like you said, sit more than you serve. We need you to serve, but don't make that your primary. I think that's very helpful. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a pastor's wife. I want to see women <laughs> serving in the church. Yeah. Um, but first and foremost, I mean, I, I remember one dear woman at our church who, um, this is kind of when we first came and she was serving in all of these different capacities. She was on the music team. She did children's stuff. She ran kind of a, a toddler's class. And she came to women's Bible study and she said to me, I don't like these intense Bible studies. I like to open my Bible at Bible study and then I like to close it and go home. <laughs> and what she was saying is, I don't want to open my Bible during the week. So, you know, I want to be with these women and I want to serve in all these ways because I think this is great. But, you know, she wasn't sitting at the feet of Jesus and during the week and she wasn't doing it in the gathering and the other classes that were offered because she was so busy serving in other places. And, and I feared for her. All right. So sit more than you serve, prioritize the local gathering, make sure you're a member that you're a Christian, you're a member, you're coming to church, you're sitting. What else? The next one is embrace the church as family and be a mother and a sister. And we already talked about the church is, is family. That's why we joined the church. And um, I think embracing the church's family means, depending on your age and your spiritual state, really, is uh, reaching out to others and being a mother to many. If you're an older woman, you know, discipling women and even you know, speaking into the lives of younger men. You can speak into the lives of younger men. We don't preach, but we certainly can can uh, speak into the lives of younger men. So we can be spiritual mothers to others, and we can be sisters um, and come alongside people in the church and uh, love them well, serve others. And I've, I've got so many women in our church who I've got women who have been mothers to me. And now I'm sort of one of the oldest in the, in the church. And so I'm a mother to others. And I have many dear sisters who love me well. And um, we, we really rejoice in the Lord together. Hmm. All right. So be a full participant relationally in the church. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, at our church, we remind ourselves that while your kids are your kids, 
all of these kids in our church are our kids in a covenant community kind of way. And so all of us engage as brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And there are times when I might say to a child who's not my own son, come here and, you know, and, and be that kind of actively involved spiritual older brother to, uh, to some of the younger members of the church. I think that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. What else? Um, I would say don't let conflict or bitterness fester um, at your church. If there's um, somebody has offended you, or if you think you've offended someone else, reach out to them and don't let that fester um, because that can grow. It can spread if you're talking about it to other people, and it can cause you to really pull back from the church. Galatians 5.15 says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We don't want to be a church full of people who are consuming one another. And then I would say, look for needs and meet them. Mm -hmm. So I said, sit more than you serve, but do definitely serve. And I think the way to serve is not by taking a spiritual gift profile, but it's by looking for things that are needed in the church. So does the church need nursery workers? Does the church need people to set up chairs? I mean, there's so many church plants out there who are meeting in schools or auditoriums. Do they need somebody to come in and set up chairs? You know, you can have great spiritual conversations just helping in those ways. And and certainly in terms of Compassion, mercy, ministry. In fact, I remember listening to a, a conversation, a, an ironic debate between Ligon Duncan and Tim Keller on the question of whether women could be deacons in a local church. And it was helpful to hear both of their perspectives. One of the things I remember Tim Keller saying was, in our church, the men who are deacons go home and say, well, here's what we need to do. And our wives say, well, I'll do that because they tend to gravitate toward mercy ministry, toward the ministries of compassion and caring. He said, so whether we're calling them deacons or not, he said, they're often deaconing uh, whether they have the office or not, because it's just a part of their nature to, for many of them to reach out with mercy and kindness and service and compassion. And that ought to be encouraged whether you're an office holder or not, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you, I was traveling recently and my husband was here in Dubai alone and women were bringing him meals. It was so kind. And these were women who are, you know, my dear friends and knew that, you know, I'd be traveling for a while and knew that he would need something decent to eat. (laughs) So there are many ways to encourage one another spiritually and help each other in the church. Let, let me ask you this, because we've just got a little bit of time left. Mm-hmm. And I, since we're speaking to pastors and church planters, is there anything you would say to our our brothers who are, they would hold your complementarian conviction, anything you would say to say, be, be careful you don't press this too far and in subtle ways diminish the value or worth of women? Anything you see complementarian pastors doing that you would say, we got to be careful here that we're not pressing the issue farther than we should? Um, Yeah, I I should say a word about that because um, I'm just in an environment 
where our elders are so supportive of women, so supportive of women's Bible study, um, think of women as their equals spiritually. And my husband is the same way. So I'm very blessed to be in that kind of environment. And I think pastors should check their hearts if they don't think of women as theologians. Mm-hmm. I mean, every Christian is a theologian. That's right. We all study God, right? That's what a theologian does. So I think pastors should be encouraging women to study the scriptures, and they should be encouraging women to dig deeply into theology. And if they are discouraging women from these things, or even have a subtle attitude of, oh, um, I don't think women can handle that, then they need to check themselves. And there are even um, kind of movements out there that discourage women's Bible study. And I actually write Bible studies, so I've published several Bible studies. And one of the women from my church moved, and this was in the UK, but she went to a church and the pastor came to her after she started women's Bible studies and said, we want you to stop the women's Bible studies. And she said, why? You know, women are, love these Bible studies and they're learning so much. And he said, they're getting ahead of the men oh. and we can't have them getting ahead of the men. And if you find yourself thinking that, then to me, that pastor needs to start working on the men. That's right. Um, not tell the women to slow down. Um, so, so I think that's that's what I would say. And um, I think pastors want to lock arms with the women in their church, especially if they see a woman who's geared toward teaching or geared toward you know loving theology, speaking the word to other women. Lock arms with her. Mm. And really partner with her to teach the women in your church. And another thing, don't shy away from counseling women on things to read or material to use for Bible studies. I've also heard of that where where pastors will just kind of step back and think, I am not getting involved in this women's ministry area at all. I'm not going to touch the what they're doing in Bible study. And women can be doing some really harmful Bible studies, reading some bad books, or even just fluffy stuff mm-hmm. that's not going to help them. And if the pastor would come in and point them in the right direction, wow, he could see a fire lit under his women, and he will see growth in his church. So so if a pastor hears that a group of women are getting together and saying, let's do this girl wash your Facebook, it's good for the pastor to say, maybe there's better material that you can be going through than, and I'm just picking that as an example. There's plenty of stuff out there that can lead men and women in the wrong direction. And I think our role as shepherds is to keep watch over the flock, whether it's men or women, and make sure that we're not headed in the wrong direction. That's right. That's right. Carrie, this is so good, so helpful. Uh, we're, we're grateful for your work in Dubai and and the fruit of the ministry. I remember talking to um, our, our mutual um, friends, the Furmans, about the work that they're doing, and they were, they were just sharing, you're reaching 
multiple nations with just your congregation in Dubai, because there are people from all over the world gathering in Dubai, coming together for worship. And from that hub, there's a lot of gospel ministry going out into the 1040 window, other parts of the world. It's exciting how God is using what you guys are doing there. Thank you. It It is glorious. We love it. We love being here and we love seeing the Lord take, like we have a pastoral internship and the Lord takes these guys all over the world and we're seeing churches planted and growing and it's very exciting. Well, we're cheering you on. Thank you for the time today. Thank you, Bob. Really appreciate it. Well, we've been listening together to Carrie Fulmer, who is a pastor's wife from Dubai, talking about women in ministry in the local church, what churches can be doing, what pastors can be doing, how we can maximize the influence and involvement of women in our churches. One of our distinctives at the Great Commission Collective is that we believe in a complementarian understanding of some of the key passages in the New Testament about women's ministry. And even with those complementarian distinctives, we also believe that women are are equal in value, worth, dignity, and have much to offer in the health of the local church. And it's a wise pastor and a wise leadership team that is making sure that women have not just uh, responsibilities, but a voice and influence and are part of what God is doing in the work of the local church. You can check out Carrie Fulmer's book, How Can Women Thrive in the Local Church? It's a nine marks title. There's a link for the book in our show notes. Again, the book is called How Can Women Thrive in the Local Church? And if you'd like to know more about the Great Commission Collective and our distinctives, go to our website, gccollective.org. If reading on the website, you think that sounds like our kind of church, get in touch with us. Let's talk about how we might be able to work together to help plant churches and strengthen leaders. That's what GCC is all about. And next time on The Bounce, we're going to talk about what ought to be our priority as we plant local churches. You know, there's a lot about church planting and church growth these days that points us to successful business models. We can follow the success of corporate America and we can have success in planting churches. Nathan Knight thinks we need to pull back. Not that there's nothing we can learn from business, but there are more important, more fundamental issues that we need to make sure are in place if we're planting churches. He's written a book called Planting by Pastoring. We'll talk with him about that next time on The Bounce. 